You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 584 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live here on a Sunday evening. I actually recorded this episode on Friday night with the great Jeff Siegel. If you missed this particular podcast, it was uh, episode 583, breaking down the Torian Prince trade with the Hawks and the Nets. That's the last show at our feed before this one, so if you missed that one, I encourage you to go back and listen to it, as well as our previous episode with Chris Stone of Sporting News. In addition to all the kinds of uh, emergency reactions that I had to the Torian Prince trade, all of that stuff is in the feed, so please subscribe via the Himalaya app or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whichever your podcast platform that you choose, and we will definitely be there and go back and listen to those if you are so inclined. As for, as for today's show, it's actually sort of a two-parter in terms of uh, part one being Friday and then this one going up now with Jeff Siegel as well. This is a draft-based episode with Jeff. Um, it was a one continuous conversation that we had actually on Friday night, but uh, it was intentionally planned to be a two-part show, so this is going to be all draft all the time on this podcast. Of course, there'll be some inference to the uh, to the trade and all that stuff as, in terms of fit and how the Hawks move forward here, but mostly just Jeff and I chopping it up for about an hour or so on the NBA draft, so hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. Also, one more thing here, my audio quality on the on this particular show that you're about to listen to is actually pretty solid. It's back to my uh, normal recording studio that I usually use at home. With that said, the next week or so, all of my podcast content that arrives on this particular platform will be a little bit altered, as you probably hear right now in my voice. I'm actually on the road. I had a death in my family. I lost my grandfather this week, so uh, unfortunately, that means that I am on the road for about a week, and uh, not great timing with the NBA draft looming, but uh, things happen, and uh, I'm letting you guys behind the curtain a little bit as to my mental state and my actual physical location not being in Atlanta for the next uh, few days here, so please be patient with me on the sound quality, and know that it's for a good reason. All that to say, here is an episode with Jeff Siegel after a quick break for some sponsors. The rest of the episode will be ad-free, and uh, here you go with Jeff. Jeff, thank you for joining me as always, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right, and uh, people that listened to last our last podcast on this same feed would realize that you and I just basically took like a five-minute break, and we're still talking. Um, but if you missed that podcast, we went a little bit deeper on the Torian Prince, Alan Crabb draft pick trade that took that took place on Thursday between the Hawks and the Nets, all the ramifications, etc. So if you missed that podcast, go back and listen to it. I recommend that, as well as our previous shows with Chris Stone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But today, our, our our objective is to talk about the NBA draft. And as a bridge to our last podcast about that trade, I wanted to ask you kind of where you are on this, maybe not, maybe not on the class, but with, with with where the Hawks are with these assets. You know, for instance, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Hawks had, had been exploring a deal that could move them out of 10 and trade back. Um, now they're looking potentially at a trade up to as high as four or five per the reporting, and of course the Hawks have these six picks, 8, 10, 17, 35, 41, and 44. So before we get into the actual players, what would your plan be? Is that, you know, You're know, you the GM now. Obviously there's some guessing involved in terms of what would actually be available to you. But if you were Travis Schlenk, what would you be trying to do between now and the draft? I mean, the, the easy answer and the answer that uh, makes the most sense is that you just are open to everything and you take the best deal that, that comes around. You know, you don't have to make the 
you don't have to make the decision at, you know, on June 7th, as we're talking and June, you know, maybe 9th or 10th, as people are listening to this, that you want to move in one direction or the other, you can say, we'd like to move up. We like Jarrett Culver. We like DeAndre Hunter. We would be interested in moving up and, and grabbing those guys. We also would like to move down from 10 to 14 and pick up a future asset or from 8 to 12 and pick up a future asset like that. All of those things are, you know, sort of on the table for them. And all of those things should be on the table for them. And so I think, you know, I don't, I don't know that without one getting into the individual players, and I know I just named a couple of individual players, without knowing where those guys are going to go, what the teams who are in those spots at four and five are going to be looking for with those those picks, without the the inside knowledge that obviously Schlenk should have at this point, and, and almost certainly does, based on the, the work that he puts in, without knowing a lot of those things, it's hard to know whether it's more valuable to go up or to go down. Is is 10 and 17 enough for you to get number five from from Cleveland? If that's true, then I kind of like that. Like I would I would be interested in making that move, assuming that one of Hunter and Culver are uh, are available there. That would be a move that I'd be interested in. If it's eight and 17, I'm a little less interested in that. I'm maybe interested in that for Culver, but not for Hunter. Um, you know, if it's if we if they if they get to eight and both Hunter and Culver are available and they're trading with a team who wants a you know wants to jump up and draft, you know, Kobe White as a, as a point guard if things really go weird at the top of the draft. Like that would be a, a time where they could move down a couple spots or move down a few spots and then pick up one of those guys at 10. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm saying those are the sorts of of things that are possible and so, you know, it, it's it's at this point difficult to know you know, whether they should package them and move up, whether they should take one and move down, whether they should do both of those. They could do 10 and 17 to move up to five and then take number eight, move down to 12 and pick up something in the future. Like there's all sorts of different things that they can do. That's the the beauty of having a ton of assets. Like we talked about, you know, on, on Friday night show, you know, there, there are some risks to having six assets in, a, in a, six draft picks in a draft where you may not want to make six draft picks. You know, those, those, those assets can have some diminishing returns. The first round picks probably do not, but the second round picks, you know, if they get stuck with all three of them, they probably won't, but it is still something that they have to do. It's a move that they, they should they should make and are, are certainly going to want to make to, to, to move some of those picks. So, you know, there's lots of different things they can do, lots of different sort of options that they have. And so, you know, to say whether they should do one or the other or be looking to actively do one or the other, they can do both. They can do neither. You know, they've got so many options available to them. Yeah, and that's what, what you said there is I agree wholeheartedly with it. You know, you can you can have theories and plans and ideas of what the Hawks might want to do in a perfect world. The draft is hardly ever a perfect world. Things don't happen the way that, that, that they're supposed to happen. And I think even stuff, even stuff like trading down should still be on the table. It's basically just a maximization of your value. Um, you know, obviously you don't, you don't, you don't want more picks in this draft probably in terms of trade down scenarios. But you could trade out, you could trade down and grab a pick for next year or the pick, a pick for the year after that. There are ways to do this where you want to maximize your tiers. You want to, you want to talk about, um, you know, getting just the best value possible for your picks. And I, I do think that there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of scenarios that are involved here. And if you, tra- if you, if you trust Travis Slank like, like most Hawks fans do, you should probably be feeling pretty good about all the assets that are on the table. Let's let's talk about the trade-up thing first because that has been a very popular notion. Um, I have dug my, my my heels in and said throughout this process, dating back to you know January and even before that, this is not a trade-up draft for me. With that said, 
it does seem to be a move that could be on the table because of the extra picks that the Hawks have. And if they find a guy that they definitely want, whether it be Culver uh, or Hunter or RJ Barrett, I guess in theory, if they want to go all the way to three or if, you know, if, if they fall in love with Cam Reddish, et cetera, all those guys could be on the table if they wanted to trade up and go ahead and do that. They had the assets to do it. Um, that's, that's my stance is that, you know, I've sort of come to grips with the fact that the Hawks might do that. And if it's for someone that I really like, like Culver, I won't be as bothered by it. But I generally am a not a trade up fan, especially in the top half of the first round of this class. How do you view that? And is it any different now that they have this extra first round pick? It is different for now that now that they have the first round, they add the extra pick at 17, especially if it's like 10 and 17 are the ones that are being moved to move up. I think that's, that's where that, that's where two of those picks in, in, you know, in at 10 and 17 are, are less valuable than number four, number five overall, and, and less valuable if you can get a, a, a guy who would fit as perfectly as Jarrett Culver would in, in what Atlanta wants to do. A, a, you know, even a guy like DeAndre Hunter who has, you know, less versatility, but is better at the things he's good at. You know, I think that that would be a, a fine trade up candidate as well. I would not, uh, because of the way, because of the way things are so flat from two to like 12, I do think that there are still sort of defined tiers between two and 12, you know, in, in this draft. And if you can trade, you know, 10 and 17 again for, you know, number four, or number five and, and pick up Hunter or Culver. That is a trade I would be, I would be willing to make and be actively sort of seeking out if one of those teams is, is interested in moving back. Uh, you know, if not, there are certainly going to be, you know, guys who are interested in, in interesting for the Hawks at eight and 10 and 17, if they'd like to do that, if they'd like to move down from one of those spots and pick up something in the future, all of those things are available to them, but the move up, I'm not as staunchly against the move up in uh, in this particular draft because the uh, because the guys who might be available to them at four and five specifically Culver and Hunter are significantly better both safer and just better overall draft picks than guys like Cameron Reddish Nasir Little guys who they you know will be in, you will be who will be available to them at like eight and ten yeah and I you know just just to be clear like I, I do think that. You know, provided the value is appropriate, you know, trading up to get Jarrett Culver, who I actually have at number three on my board, is something that I will not criticize. Um, I, you know, my, my thoughts are out there on just not thinking trading up is the best move, but if you if you can have a reasonable package to go up for Jarrett Culver specifically, I would be more okay with that. Um, secondary to that, DeAndre Hunter, because I do think that they, those guys are better than the other options. The gap isn't um, overwhelming, I don't think necessarily, but. Um, if you want your guy, and I think you know there was the one report from Sean from Sean Devaney this morning news that the Hawks had zeroed on Culver at one point before the lottery. Obviously, all the reddish stuff is out there. I do think that Culver um, and to a somewhat lesser extent Hunter are better than the other options. So if they want to go ahead and do that, it's not going to just like infuriate me. If they go all in and like trade eight and ten for three or four, I wouldn't love that. But if you can get that without trading both of those picks, if you can if you can get to four or five um, with either eight and seventeen or ten and seventeen, then go ahead and do that. That's totally fine with me. Um, I would not trade both top ten picks for any one in this class, sans Zion. Um, if you are the Hawks, which that's not going to happen. So uh, that's just where I am with it. I, I mean, I wouldn't just kill them if they went if they traded eight and ten and got Jarrett Culver, who again I have number three on my board because I like Jarrett Culver, and you just go get your guy at a certain point. But value wise, I wouldn't love that. I just wanted to ask you and sort of we, we could sort of start there. It does seem 
like, um, from what you just said, that you have uh, Culver and Hunter um, as sort of the guys that you want. Um, you know, I know we're not we're not draft insider necessarily in terms of intel. I think Culver is not going to get to eight, almost certainly. Hunter, I guess, could get there based on what I have heard. It wouldn't be impossible. I think it's unlikely that he's available as well. And then you're staring down the barrel of Cam Reddish. So, you know, are you openly advocating for a trade-up at this point? Or is it a situation where you want you want to just see what's kind of out there? Is it is it urgent that the Hawks trade up in your mind uh, to get one of those two guys in Culver and Hunter? Or is it are they okay if they stand pat at eight and just take the best guy available to them? If they, if the only package available to them to move up and grab Culver or Hunter is eight and 10, then they should just stay at, at eight and 10 and pick up, you know, reddish and little and, and be happy with it or reddish and Goga and be happy with it. I'm actually not totally sure whether it's Goga or Joja. At uh, this no, point. no one is. I, I've asked. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the you're, only one. You, you are I, continuing I, a, uh, a two month long uh, journey on uh, Goga versus Goja versus whatever it is. So we're, we're just going to just pick one and we'll, we'll roll with it. People know who we're talking about, but it's uh, Goga Batazzi, the center um, from the Republic of Georgia originally. And he is uh, very interesting and someone who is fast rising, but I'm going with Goga. I think that's kind of where I've landed, but no one that I've talked to at least knows for sure. Maybe when I have Sam Vecini on, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, he'll know for sure. Cause he's a smart, smart man. But uh, for now, no one really knows. It seems. Yeah, so I guess we'll just go with Goga for the moment, and uh, and if he comes to Atlanta, we can ask him directly how to pronounce his name. That would be great. Um, but he's somebody that I would be interested in if they if they decided to go with Reddish at number eight and and Goga at number ten. But if so, basically in terms of trading up, if they want to do if they want to include seventeen and either eight or ten to move up and grab Culver or Hunter, I would. If that deal is on the table, I would openly advocate for them to take that deal. If it's eight and ten, I would I would advocate for them to not take that deal. I don't think that that's from a value perspective that's that's worthwhile when you can go with reddish and little reddish and goga reddish and and somebody else. You know, I think though reddish and Hayes, you know, somebody like that. So though that's sort of where I come down on you know whether I'm openly advocating for them to go up to to jump up and grab you know Culver or Hunter. I think those guys would be markedly better draft picks than a guy like you know reddish or little but that's why they're you know slated to go four five six somewhere in through there and that's why you would have to trade up to get them it's not worth trading up from eight and ten but eight or ten and number 17 you know i think that would be a a a perfect use of those those assets yeah that makes uh, perfect sense honestly i mean and I, i do think that those guys are interesting so what you know now that we've sort of established that we both, I think, are on the same page and liking Culver and Hunter. Um, what do you envision? I know you know you're not an NBA draft first guy, but you're a scout, and you've now you've now had a chance to watch these guys a number of times in the last few weeks. Let's just go one at a time. What what, what kind of player is Jarrett Culver for you? Like, what, what does he project to be? Because that's kind of the the gap I think that people some people have is that you know a top five pick projected is often seen as a star. And I'm not sure that either one of these guys is stars. That's 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 more of a, tr- a product of the draft than anything else. But what do you see as a like a, a reasonable you know median outcome for Jarrett Culver, and then after that, DeAndre Hunter? Yeah, I mean there aren't there aren't the the sort of high level star talent in this draft outside of Zion, outside of the the super high upside but really low floor guys. I mean there's you know certainly like John Morant. Bull Bull has a, a just an unbelievable ceiling if he can get there. But like in terms of median outcome, 
like those guys are not, you know, superstars. Uh, Zion, his median outcome is probably like a multi-time all NBA kind of player. That's just because of how, you know, how ridiculous he is. But even he's, I've got some reservations on him. We've, we've talked about that in the past in terms of Culver, like his, his median outcome is to be maybe the third best player on a, on a really good team. You know, maybe, maybe, I guess maybe that would be more like a, a ceiling outcome. A, a median outcome would be, you know, as a, a strong secondary playmaker who can, you know, maybe he can put the shot together a little bit. I think that's the biggest worry with him offensively at this point. But he's, you know, such a, an all-around offensive player that, you know, if he, if he can get one of his all-around skills to pop and the shooting never does, then he's going to be fine on that on that end of the floor. And then, you know, the, the defensive versatility just with being his size is, is going to be a, a big part of, of a team that doesn't, you know, could be a big part of a Hawks team that doesn't have a lot of good defenders or really may, very many defenders at all. Um, you know, I think that would be a useful part. I don't think he's quite as as good on, on the defensive end as a guy like Hunter, but Hunter doesn't have the the offensive upside or the offensive versatility that Culver has. I think Hunter's really much more of just a spot-up shooter and doesn't have a whole lot of of other stuff to his game, not, you know, finishing, creating for others, all of the other sort of the dribble pass shoot thing that Schlenk likes to, to push. He doesn't really have the dribble or pass, but he's got the shoot and he's got the really high end level defense. And at some point, somebody on the Hawks is going to have to start to play some defense eventually. And so, you know, it would be nice to start with a guy like DeAndre Hunter who has the sort of physical profile and the, the defensive IQ to be a, a really high level defender in this league. Yeah, I mean, with with Hunter, I think you're looking more, you know, his his offensive ceiling beyond just as a stand, as a standstill shooter, which certainly has appeal, is that um, he's pretty physical. He's kind of he's a good face up guy. It's, it's that sort of mid range area that's almost sometimes underutilized um, by some people anyway. If you're really good in that area, um, but yeah, he's not someone who's going to just like create off the dribble from the top of the key in the way that some like. You know, primary initiators are going to from the wing. That's not going to be what his game is. It's going to be attacking mismatches. It's going to be face-up game and in-between stuff, aside from just his catch-and-shoot stuff, which is uh, intriguing. And the defense, he's not a playmaker defensively, necessarily. He's definitely more of an on-ball guy. Um, he didn't have elite block and steal rates, which people are worried about, and justifiably so, honestly. I think it's, that's usually not a great indicator. Um, but he was so good on the ball, and he's physically gifted. He's not like an elite athlete, but he's he's big and strong, um, you know, pretty uh, pretty long as well, a 7'2 wingspan. He's uh, certainly someone who has a nice physical profile, and I think um, there's a lot of safety in that. I do have Culver ahead of Hunter. Um, do you agree with that? Did you, did you say that in there? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got Culver ahead of Hunter because of Culver's offensive versatility and offense just matters more than defense. Like as much as we would like, as, as much as I personally just, I don't even know if, if you're on this page or not, but as much as I would like it to be where the game is, is more balanced between offense and defense, the way that the league is sort of going, the way the league wants the game to go because offense is more exciting is that offense is more important. And so, you know, a, a more versatile all around player like Culver is going to be a, a more interesting draft pick because the because of the fact that offense is just it is it's more important than defense right now yep i agree and uh you know I, for just for the record right now i have culver at three rj barrett at four and deandre hunter at five um that's i guess could change especially with regard to culver and barrett which i keep flip-flopping on but um that's just kind of where i am right now um 
after that, we talked about sort of the tiers here. Oh, just to get this out of the way right now, the Hawks, in my opinion, absolutely cannot take um, either Kobe White or Darius Garland. Do you agree with me or not? Oh, yeah. Like, those guys are off the table uh, entirely. There's no uh, there's no situation. If those are the two guys who are somehow available at number eight, then they need to just be scouring every corner of the, of the league to try to find a, a way to move off of those picks. They won't be. I mean, I, I just don't think that the, those guys are going to be – it's not going to be where it's either those guys or, you know, somebody that they don't want. The fact that they're going to be picking at eight in a play, in a draft that has a lot of different kinds of guys from two to 12 or 13, that's going to make it easier for them to not have to take one of those guys. But there is no – under no circumstances should they draft either one of those guys. Yep, I, I totally agree. I just want to see if you were, uh, and I think I, I had a feeling that you were. Um, I think the the most likely scenario is that White could still be there, and uh, at that point, if you're Travis Schlenk, you should just open the phone lines and see if anybody wants to come get him. Um, that needs a primary initiator because you don't need that guy right now. Okay, so in a world where the Hawks stay at eight and they do not move up, and as we expect, both Culver and Hunter are off the board, who would you take? Um, you know, Cam Reddish is the prevailing um, mock draft guy. He's uh, someone who I think the Hawks fan base has really embraced uh, for the most part. Every time I tweet something about this class, I get five responses about how it's going to be Cam Reddish. Um, I do think that the Hawks like him. I've heard that multiple times, both in reports publicly and myself. Um, I do think that he's not a slam dunk prospect by any means, but um, is it if it's not, if it is Reddish, tell me why. And if it's not Reddish, tell me why as well. I mean, it, I think it, it almost has to, it doesn't have to be reddish. There are other guys who people are going to like who might be available at, at number eight, especially, you know, with Culver and Hunter off the board with some of those primary initiators being sort of off the Hawks board based on the, the fact that they have Trey Young. You know, I think reddish makes the most sense in that spot. You can talk me into, you know, a, a few other guys who are guys who, you know, perhaps have a, a safer floor, but not as high of a ceiling. But at that point, if they're staying pat at eight, they're, they also may be staying pat at like 10 and 17, and they can take some of those safer guys later on. And, and that's that's where they can sort of get into a guy like Reddish, who can be a future star, even if his maybe median outcome and his floor outcome are, are, are lower than some of the other guys who they you know possibly could take at number eight. You know, I, I do think that Reddish would be the, the right pick there. As a as a guy who should be able to shoot, you know, at the next level. Obviously, his college shooting numbers were not very good. His college numbers in general were not very good. All of his, you know, his his Duke performance was was particularly poor, and and just he wasn't. He it didn't seem like he was all that comfortable in, in you know in the Duke system with Zion with RJ. There wasn't a ton of spacing. He wasn't providing enough spacing for those guys. You know, didn't didn't shoot the ball all that well, but. That's the, you know, that's some of the the upside with him is that he can be, you know, a, a high level shooter, and you know whether you can get his his mentality to to shift a little bit on both ends of the floor, and so that he can be, you know, not necessarily more of a team player, but more of an a, a, an assertive, aggressive player. They already have somebody like that in the system, in in, in Kevin Herter, who they have to sort of coax to to come out of his shell and and play with all of his physical gifts and all of his, you know, athleticism and skill as a shooter, as a passer, as a dribbler. They're sort of used to having to work with somebody like that. So Reddish, I think, would follow into a little bit of that that same role where he, 
is happy to play a, a more passive game, but they can sort of push him in a, in a way to become more of an aggressive aggressive player and I would like to see what he could do as a as a more aggressive player at the NBA level so I do you know I do I do think that Reddish would be the pick for me there it's not necessarily like a slam dunk over a guy like Nasir Little or Goga or you know if you really love Grant Williams or Brandon Clark those are guys who you might consider at at those spots but really Little Goga and and Reddish if they can end up with two of those three at eight nine ten that would be that would be perfectly fine for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm participating in two mock drafts right now without revealing the results of those. Uh, in general, I've been approaching this as if this is obviously just me picking for the Hawks. But if if, if I stay put at, if I stay put at, at eight and ten, I'm taking the best forward available at eight, which usually is reddish. Uh, it has been Hunter before, um, if he slips there, but it's usually reddish. And then at least for me. And then I am more than willing to take another forward at 10. It does not have to be a center. And we'll talk about this uh, more now, I guess, as a general rule is that we alluded to this on the last podcast, but the Hawks don't currently have a single real small forward on the roster. They had guys that they have guys that have played there before and Kent Bazemore and DeAndre Bembry. Kevin Herter has small forward height, but not really small forward build and strength right now to compete with like your, um, your big physical lead small forward types. And at some point they're going to have to get some more size there. So, and fortunately, all the guys that we're talking about here, whether whether it be Hunter, especially Hunter, Reddish, and Little, are real um, are real small forward size. And Jarrett Culver, because of the way he measured, can certainly play there as well. I think um, those guys are all that. So I'd be totally fine. And because you got you can't have too many wings and forwards, I would be fine taking just two guys. Take the best two, whether it be I think Reddish and Little is probably the most likely to be there, and that's totally fine. Just pair those guys together and roll from there. Um, you mentioned. Goga, um, so I, I think you probably have him ahead of Jackson Hayes. That's that's a popular argument right now that's happening in Hawksland. Is uh, if they were to take a center at ten, for instance, those are the two primary candidates, I suppose, on paper. Unless you think Brennan Clark is a center, which you know maybe not. Well, how do you feel about Goga versus Jackson Hayes? Because that's an interesting conundrum, particularly for the Hawks. Because I, I actually think I have Hayes rated ahead of Goga in a vacuum. But I think I'd almost rather have Goga for the Hawks, which is interesting. So I wonder how you feel about those two guys. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I like I, – I think I like Goga better. I mean, I, I like Goga better overall in a vacuum. I do think that he his offensive talent and the fact that he can play in – he can play in a, in a specific coverage that is played throughout the league and, and is played, you know, in, in, in pick-and-roll coverage. He has to be – he has to drop back. You know, he plays with, you know, like he's his feet are in cement. And so, like, he's not going to be out on the perimeter really at all in the first couple years of his career. Maybe as he sort of grows into, you know, being an NBA player, he can get out on the floor a little bit better. You know, we probably would have had the conversation two years ago that Nikola Jokic is a ground-bound paint bound center. And all of a sudden, they've got him moving a little bit more outside of the paint Um defensively and so I think Goga might be able to sort of grow into that a little bit more but for now he's definitely a paint bound big man defensively but then the the offensive skill is is where I like you know where I like him ahead of a a guy like Jackson Hayes particularly for the Hawks because they have a pick and roll maestro big man in John Collins that's where Goga becomes a little bit more interesting as more of an all-around big man who can do a lot of the things offensively that a guy like Dwayne Dedman did last year, that just fits better next to Trey Young, next to John Collins as a, as a, a center 
who can play defensive center but can be more of a perimeter-based offensive player. And then, you know, you can ha- you can free up the paint for a guy like Collins to roll to the rim. If Hayes is on this team, Hayes and Collins sort of conflict in that way in, in terms of what they're best at. And, uh, you know, I'm just not particularly sold on, you know, on Hayes as a as a you know pure center who can be a rim runner on both ends of the floor. Like I think his, you know, the fact that he doesn't have the best defensive awareness, the fact that he can get beat on the glass, like you're, you're drafting him for his defense. So his defense is going to need to be at a, a particularly high level. And that's just, I don't, I don't quite see it with him the way I do with Goga's offense. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. I think, you know, Hayes, you're going to, you know, the people that really like him, kind of buy him and because he's such he's such a fluid athlete and he moves like a guard almost in the way that he could just cover ground people are definitely banking on development there in a way that you would need to to like him more than goga because right now if you had to play a basketball game i would rather have goga almost certainly um and goga's about a year older than hayes which is worth pointing out as well um but yeah just what you said about collins it's not all about collins but the fact that uh hayes at least at the moment Collins' best attribute is his rim running, and that's also by far Hayes' best attribute on the offensive end of the floor. And those guys would kind of be duplicative in some ways offensively, unless you believe Hayes can shoot a jump shot, which he's not quite there yet. So all that to say, oh, I will say just as an intel thing, if I had to guess, um, Hayes is not going to get to 17. I have not seen a certain, I have not seen or heard anyone who thinks that that is a possibility. There is a chance Goga gets to 17. I, I wouldn't project that. I think he's going to be gone by then. But, you know, if you if you look and sort of read around some of the theoretical ranges that people that I trust have put out there, it isn't impossible. Again, I wouldn't make on that. But I, I think that there's a little bit of potential for Goga to slip to 17 if the Hawks were to stay there. Not likely, though. Um, sort of in that same vein as the two bigs, What's your feeling on Brandon Clark? Because I know you mentioned Grant Williams is sort of a secondary kind of guy there. Clark is the one guy we haven't dis- that we haven't discussed. I guess I guess Clark and Sekou Demboya, who I know you don't like very much, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, but Clark is this weird hybrid because a he's old, b he can't shoot, c he's not very long, but he's so good at everything else. And it's this weird evaluation because is is he a is he a true big? Is he someone who's going to develop more on the perimeter? How high should he go? There's a lot of questions for Brandon Clark. And he doesn't seem like a Hawks guy, but he's apparently had some interesting workout stuff for Atlanta and maybe some private um, interactions and pri- private dinners, I think, was reported out there. So maybe the Hawks have more interest than I thought they probably would because he doesn't exactly fit the uh, Travis like mold, per se. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that he doesn't fit the mold is, is pro- you know, potentially an issue, but it might be one of those things where you know, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum for like the last two years. They're going to need somebody who breaks that mold eventually. Like they need, I mean, unless it's somebody who can literally can be a dribble pass shoot guy and a high level defender, there's, you know, we're, we're not looking at a ton of those in this draft, probably just Zion, you know, maybe one or two others pop throughout their careers. But as we're looking at it right now, they're going to need to break that dribble pass shoot mold at some point to add somebody who can play defense and, and Brandon Clark would be a great option as somebody who can be a very high level defender, has some positional issues, certainly has some defensive fit issues next to John Collins, who, you know, might have to play center with Brandon Clark on the floor, like the two of them together, because Clark is, you know, six, eight with a six, eight wingspan, you know, that worried me a little bit. The fact that he, you know, I, I, I went through my database of guys 
who, you know, who are in the league right now or who might get drafted in this upcoming draft who are, you know, six, eight with a, you know, six, seven to six foot nine wingspan. And the only guy who comes back with positive defensive value was Jimmy Butler. You know, they're, they're, you know, and, and this is a list of, you know, maybe 40 guys. It's, you know, there's a worry there that Clark will, Clark is going to have to overcome the fact that he's just physically is not the kind of player who regularly succeeds, but he has just the overwhelming athleticism and overwhelming IQ on that end of the floor that he would be a guy to bet on to succeed from that, that mold of guys who usually don't succeed. And so I think, you know, from that perspective, it would be, I do think that he's going to be a, a high level defender. It's whether he can put something together offensively and whether he fits next to John Collins. Those are the, those are the issues that I would be interested in trying to suss out if I were Atlanta. And I, and those were the, those are the the downsides to taking him. I think if he were, if this same player were, would have been available last year, I would have probably been all over him because I didn't believe in John Collins the way I did, you know, the way I do now after, after seeing Collins for another year, you know, I think that Collins graduated from this guy might be a, a nice guy and a really nice piece to have as a third big who can start, you know, for you in spot minutes. Now that he's sort of fleshed out a lot of the issues around his game, the jump shot seems to be coming along as a real thing. The last two months of the season were really solid for him defensively. You know, he's becoming more and more a, a true member of the team going forward. Something that a lot of people thought almost immediately after his rookie year, but it, it, it took me an extra, you know, maybe 10 months or so to really see him be a, a huge part of that future. And now he's not as much a part of the future as Trey Young, but he's a big part of their future. And so how does Clark fit next to Collins? How do the two of them defend at the four and the five together? Can Collins become more of a five? Those are the things that, you know, Atlanta is going to know a lot more about than we do because they've been, you know, in workouts with him over the last, you know, couple of uh, of months since the, the the season ended. They know more than we do about where he's where he is on that front. So, you know, those are the sorts of, of considerations I would I would take, you know, in terms of of taking Clark in this draft. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he's not a perfect fit. I do think that his defense and his athleticism, and um, I think he's going to make shots. I don't think he's going to be a great shooter by any means, but his touch was legitimately elite at the college level like short of zion he was the second best finisher in the country last year also the best, second best most efficient player in the country um at least according to the stats was Brandon clark he was ridiculously good he is old and that's the biggest concern there in addition to his height so lots of interesting evaluation points for brandon clark and um i probably wouldn't take him um you know at 10 i would certainly consider brandon clark heavily uh, at eight, eight, at eight, I would not. But uh, at ten, depending on who's there, I would certainly have him uh, in the discussion at least for who the Hawks might take. And if he was somehow, if he was somehow there at seventeen, then uh, it, it'd be an auto fire for me. Um, the last guy who has at least tangentially been mocked or could be in the top ten in some mocks that we have not talked about is, is Seku Demboya, who is really raw and really young. And uh, pretty talented. I, I know from talking to you offline that you don't love his game, and I think you won't. I think you wouldn't consider him there. But what is your uh, sort of quick evaluation of Seku? He's kind of the only guy we haven't we, we haven't discussed yet. Yeah, I mean, he would be somebody who, if he's there at seventeen, I'd be fine with. I mean, there there might even still be guys who are on the board at seventeen who I would like better than him. You know, that's where he's going to fall on my board. You know, when I when it all shakes out. 
he's going to fall in the, you know, 19, 20, 21 range. I just don't, I don't, I don't see that the risk for what he could be uh, the downside risk for him is not worth the upside ceiling that he, that of, of the player that he might be for me. You know, I don't, the taking a massive, what I believe would be a massive risk on, on drafting this guy would not be, would not be worth basically what he could be like the, the highest level that he's going to get to versus the, the lowest level that he could sink to those things don't line up for me to be worth, you know, worth drafting him at either eight or 10. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think if the Hawks were to have DeAndre Hunter, for instance, um, or, or Culver for, you know, if one of those guys fell in their laps and uh, more of a safer thing, you could probably justify it a little bit more to me to take the swing on Nimboya Cause I think even more so than Reddish and Little, he's risky. Um, but his upside is interesting. I, I tend to agree with you that I think people go a little bit too far with his upside. I do think that if it works, it's going to be really interesting, especially defensively. His tools are um, quite intriguing. But I would not take him at 8 or 10 either. I, I would have Reddish. I'd have, I'd have Little. I would have Goga. I would have Brandon Clark all ahead of Sekou. So with that, just the simple math there, he would not be one of my top 10 guys um, in the mix, and I wouldn't take him at 10. At 17, I totally agree. He'd be an easy selection if he was on the board. Um... Let's talk about 17 because, you know, I still think that it's kind of unlikely that the Hawks make all three picks in the first round, but it's certainly um, possible. And within the next two weeks, we're going to see a lot of mock drafts, including one that I did actually um, over the weekend. I guess what, what up on Friday uh, on Dime Magazine where I had to was kind of forced to go quickly and uh, mock was going to happen there. But um, if they do stand pat and they draft 8, 10, and 17, who are the guys you're looking at at 17? That's something we haven't talked about a lot because this is the first draft podcast we've done post Torian Prince trade, and 17 was not really an area where you were, where we talked about a lot. I, I'm obviously familiar with all these guys. You have just as some options that could be available that are often mocked in that range. You have Rui Hachimura, Kevin Porter, uh, you have PJ Washington, Romeo Langford, Kelton Johnson. Grant Williams, um, Tyler Hero, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. That's kind of a smattering of guys who are often mocked in that range uh, to go along with uh, if, if something, somebody like Clark or Sekou fell that far. Um, anybody strike you as like an awesome fit or somebody that you really like in that range that could be available for the Hawks? I mean, my my guy is, is Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech. Like I just, I really, I think he's, if you miss out on Jarrett Culver, there's a lot of Jarrett Culver and Alexander Walker for me. Like, I just think that he's a sort of a light version of what Culver brings to the table as a secondary playmaker, as a guy who, you know, can be, can play the shooting guard position next to Trey Young defensively because of his, you know, six, five with a six ten wingspan. He can, he can play on, on, you know, he can guard twos on that end of the floor. He can maybe even guard ones eventually. You know, I think he's probably more, you know, he's, less versatile on that end because of the the athleticism concerns than than I would like him to be but at 65 with a 610 wingspan if he can guard twos and smaller threes or twos smaller threes and some of the bigger ones that would be you know something that that I would strongly consider I mean you know it's he's 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 one of the guys that I'm sort of irrationally in love with I think he's somebody <laughs> that I really enjoy his his work and I think he would fit next to Trey Young in, in a nice way especially as as Trey Young gets better and as Trey Young not even gets better but he's as this team becomes more competitive 
Trey Young's defensive weaknesses are going to be so much more important than they were this past season. And that the, and then they were then and then they will be coming up in the, the nineteen twenty season. By the time we hit twenty one, twenty two, they're starting to make the playoffs, they're starting to make some noise. Young's defensive weaknesses are going to become not untenable because he's so good offensively and will get better, but his defensive weaknesses are going to be a big deal. And so you you're gonna need guys who at the two and the three can defend ones. And that's where Alexander Walker has some, some value. That's where Jarrett Culver has some value and why I would like to, to see them jump up and grab him. If you know, if they, they, they go into that route, but if they don't, I, I believe Alexander Walker can, can get to that sort of level. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at him as like an ideal third guard, um, prototype. Like obviously, you know, you have Kevin Herter, you have Trey Young, Alexander Walker does a lot of things well. He's long as all get out. He was sort of a primary guy sometimes at Virginia Tech on the ball. He could have some uh, secondary equity as a ball handler. Just fills in a lot of gaps. And he's not he's someone that we haven't talked about a lot on the podcast just because the Hawks had no mechanism for getting him until now because he was, you know, 10 was too high for him in my opinion and he clearly isn't going to fall to 35, but now there's like there's like this guy there's, there's like this 10 player you know, swath of guys who we just hadn't talked about a ton. And he's definitely right in the middle of it. That could be very useful. And I think people are, I'm sure fans are going to jump to the fact that he wouldn't project to be a starter, but now as the Hawks, you know, simple math dictates that if you, if, if this is your third pick and I know, a lot, you know, Hawks fans are all in on the three man core of young Herder and Collins, you throw in guys eight and 10 and maybe even a center position, like, you're going to be drafting guys that don't project the starters and that's going to be kind of the reality there. So before anybody gets a little weird, I'm just like, you know, drafting a third guard with a 17th pick. That's kind of what you're going to have to do pretty soon here. You can't just keep drafting starters because you only have so many starting positions. So all that to say, I'd be fine with that. I mean, he, he projects to play a certain role on this Hawks team, but the fact that he fills in a lot of gaps and is, I think he's a top 20 guy on my board. So it's certainly a, a, a player that could make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's interesting because side by side here on the list I'm looking at uh, are him and Tyler Hero. And Hero is um, seven inches shorter on, on his wingspan, uh, which is interesting. He's uh, Hero is like a very different player, and he's just like he's a knockdown shooter type. And I don't love his fit in Atlanta. I know a lot of Hawks fans like him because he's a Kentucky guy. There's there's a crossover there to a certain extent. Um, and Hero is someone I'm going to actually be writing about in the next couple of days on B Street Hoops. But um, he's the other kind of combo guardish kind of player that's available. Uh, but he's just a very different player and probably a, probably a worse fit. In fact, definitely a worse fit considering what his faux pas are. You know, defensively, um, not not very long. He's definitely a shoot first kind of player. Um, the Hawks kind of have that in their backcourt right now. So, uh, who else have we talked? Oh, I wanted to ask you about um, these two wings that are, I guess now we're back in the mix that could be if if for instance the Hawks were to draft a center at ten and they make three picks, but the only only one of them are a wing. Maybe they're evaluating some wings again in 17, and you're talking about um, two guys, Romeo Langford and Kelton Johnson, that were both kind of frequently mocked as lottery picks until like February, and now they're pretty solidly below that for most people. Do you like either of them or neither of them? And uh, at 17, uh, either of those guys worth an investment um, for the Hawks? Uh, that's not where I would go with with 17 for either one of those guys. You know, I just I don't. Well, I, should add, I should add one more guy to the mix. Ke- Kevin Porter, I, I would put the same tier. So if you, if you like him anymore, please reference that as well. Uh, 
don't particularly. Um, me, me either. <laughs> he's, Actually, you know, he's, uh, uh, these three guys, just for me, I, I, I prefer Keldon, but I don't love any of them either. And Keldon, it's more because he just doesn't take that much off the table. He's not very exciting. He's very boring. I, I, Chris Stone and I talked about him and kind of laughed about how boring this, the, the discussion was because Keldon Johnson is just like the prototypical boring third wing prospect. And that's fine. There's value in that, just not too much uh, excitement. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't... I would not be overly enthused with any of those 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 kinds of players. I think if they decide to go in that direction and they and they had a trade down opportunity or a trade out opportunity and they didn't take it, that would be that would be somewhat disappointing. I'm not uh, you know overly enthused with any of those guys at 17. Really, I'm not super overly enthused with any of those guys at any point. But I you know especially you know at 17, if they decide to go you know wing and big at eight and ten. You know, hopefully there's somebody there, depending on what wing and what big they take at eight and ten. Maybe there's somebody there who they can take a little bit of a swing on, who you know they can pick up, they can reach a little bit further down their draft board, even if it's not somebody who necessarily is is the right value pick at number seventeen. Reach down for somebody who you know might have some higher upside, has some some higher level skills at, at their ceiling than, than the, the, the few guys that you mentioned. I just, I'm not, not particularly, you know, a huge fan of any of those guys. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. I, I think that, you know, if they were to draft Kelton at 17, I wouldn't object to that. You know, Kevin Porter is a guy with some upside, um, but just the, in general, it's not a terribly overwhelming thing. I would, for instance, I was going to ask you about these two guys next, but I would, I would much rather have either Grant Williams or PJ Washington, um, do you have a preference between those two guys? They're kind of the, you know, they're they're almost paired together in many ways. They're both SEC players, similar height. Um, they're kind of different in the way and what they do. You know, Washington's more long, is a longer guy who was kind of more of a true big in some ways, but also people think he can play more on the perimeter. And then Grant Williams is a stocky, but he's also a sort of a playmaker on the short roll. They're just very interesting players, and I think they're both just better players than the three wings that we just talked about. But at the same time, they're also not ideal fits in Atlanta because, especially if they were to draft someone like Reddish or Little or both in the top ten. If you have Reddish, Little, and John Collins, I'm not really sure what Grant Williams is supposed to do, but but he's also a pretty good basketball player and someone who I think is kind of undervalued in this class. Yeah, I mean Grant, I have Grant ahead of of Washington pretty comfortably, um, and I think that that Grant Williams has so much of the, the the stuff that that Atlanta likes, but the fact that you know John Collins is a person who exists makes him less enticing for them in particular. If they decided to go with him and he really, really popped, I'm sure they could get a nice haul for for John Collins at some point. And that's not something that, you know, I would actively want them to do right now, of course, because we don't know what what Grant Williams is going to be. And John Collins, we don't really know what he's going to be. Is he going to come back next year with, you know, some elbow playmaking, some short roll playmaking, a lot of the stuff that makes Grant Williams a really interesting prospect? Is he going to come back with some of those skills? I know from talking to Lloyd Pierce directly that they're working with him on his ball handling, on his passing, on his outside shooting, on the defense, of course. They're working with everybody on the defense. But, you know, in terms of his offensive skill set, he could come back and be a much more well-rounded player on top of being a, a nuclear ver- vertical athlete and a, you know, burgeoning you know three-point shooter. He could come back with some ball handling, some elbow playmaking, and, you know, some short role playmaking. A lot of that stuff that Grant Williams does really well 
can you play the two of those guys together? Maybe. I mean, we're getting into a lot of the same stuff that we got into with Brandon Clark. Are you big enough, you know, with those two guys on the floor to have one of them play, you know, true center? Certainly if John Collins could develop his true center skills on on that end of the floor, that would be phenomenal for them because then a lot of these guys are more open to being you know, draftable and playable with next to him while he still retains his lateral mobility and his, and his ability to play the four if they want to play, you know, a, a bigger guy next to him. So, you know, the fact that Collins, where Collins is in his defensive growth and where they see him going in, in the near future, that's where, that's how you can decide whether you want a guy like Williams or Washington, or you want to go, you know, for a guard wing, like the, the, some of the other guys we talked about, you know, Clark is in that same sort of discussion, whether you want him is sort of more as in some ways based around where you, where you see Collins going in the, in the near future. I like Williams, you know, ahead of both, you know, ahead of Washington, probably not ahead of, of Brandon Clark because of Clark's just immense defensive versatility and what he can do on that end of the floor. But, you know, Williams is such a good playmaker, such a smart guy, such a, a guy who can, come in and elevate a team in all the little ways that that don't show up in a box score that can make everybody smarter around him sort of the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing in terms of their collective intelligence and you know from from on both ends of the floor really and so I really I really like him on you know on this Hawks team that is going to is going to need high IQ players and not necessarily that they have guys who aren't high IQ players, but they're with Pierce, I think at the helm, they're going to want a more read and react type of offense and defense in, in, you know, in the future. I think that's where the league is going personally. I just think from watching the playoffs, from watching what the Warriors have been able to do over the last five years, from watching, you know, a lot of what, uh, what Toronto is doing on the defensive end in these finals, that's the path forward is to have a lot of very smart guys who can be in the right positions. And Grant Williams is not an overly overwhelming athletic player like a Brandon Clark, but he is an overwhelmingly smart player and he can be a lot of defense is effort and athleticism, but a lot of defense is knowing where to be and being able to direct yourself to those spots on the floor. And so I think that's where Williams will really shine on both ends of the floor, really. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've kind of I kind of referenced this in the last couple of podcasts when I had draft people on, but I think draft Twitter is too high on Grant Williams. Like people have him in the top seven and that that's too high. But I also think that I am higher than the league. You know, for instance, talking to people and reading some people that are more plugged in than I am project Grant Williams to even go like maybe even out of the first round, which I think is kind of lunacy. I have him as a top 20 guy. Um, he should be a top 20 pick. And if he's there at 17, the Hawks could do much, much worse than Grant Williams. Um, before we move on briefly to the second round guys real quickly, before we get out of here, um, anybody we haven't talked about that you would consider at 17 that we have not discussed. Cause we talked about a lot of guys, but I want to make sure we didn't miss anybody that you want to get, that you wanted to hit on. I mean, if they're, if they decide to go double wing in the in the top ten, and they like you know a guy like Nick Claxton out of the University of Georgia, you have some of the the hometown ties there, which are kind of fun. Um, that would be somebody who I would be at least somewhat interested in you know thinking about at that at that spot. Defense, um, defense, defense, defense. That's what he's supposed yeah. to be. So 
that would be great. I mean, certainly they need defenders at some point in this, you know, in this run. I've, I've, I'm much higher on Matisse Tybal than a lot of people are. You know, I think that the, the defensive stuff, while his man-to-man defense in his freshman and sophomore years was not particularly good, his, you know, the the fact that he's grown uh, so much as a, as a zone defender over the last two years, and obviously last year's defensive numbers were just insane. Um, and the fact that he shot, you know, 85% from the free throw line or something last year, his, his three point shot will, is something that will be there, I believe. And so I think that that's a, a three and D level wing guard, whatever you want to call him on, uh, at 17 would be a, would be a fine pick as well. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, probably a good place to leave that discussion. And uh, just for one more time of clarity, I think I'd be surprised if they drafted at 8, 8, 10, and 17. Just putting that out there one more time. Do you agree with that sentiment just right now? I know it's kind of a guess, but it does seem doesn't yeah. seem terribly likely to me. Yeah, I think I'd be I'd be relatively surprised if they took 8, 10, and 17. I'd be floored if they took all six, of course. But if well, that's they, not, Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not They're going to make a trade at some point, I think. But... Uh, Certainly, I think I, I would be surprised, but not shocked. Like, I think it's a 40% chance that they take all three spots. Yeah, um, that's 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 uh, probably higher little, than I would be, yeah. but it's not ridiculous. I think it's it's not impossible that, that they just sit, that, that, that they just stand pat because if, if the value is not there for, in the offers that they get, that's totally fine. I, I, I neglected to ask you one thing that I wanted to ask you. You mentioned Claxton. Is he your favorite center in that range? You know, you have the Bruno Fernando um, guy. I know Bruno, Bruno is someone who a lot of Hawks fans have gravita- gravitated to, and I think he would be. It's a little high for me at seventeen, but it wouldn't be ridiculous. Uh, also, you have Bull Bull, and he's sort of the looming uh, weird weird guy, because Bull Bull is uh, very very risk reward, as well as say. So either one of those guys in the mix for you at all at seventeen? Before I, I just want to ask this question because I know Hawks fans will want to know because they're both. Um, Either, either fan favorites or uh, the absolute opposite of that. Yeah, I mean, if I'm already sort of if I from what I've said about uh, Seku Dumbia, a lot of that transfers over to Bull Bull. Like if Bull, like his high end, is his high end upside worth the the risk that he's that both the injury risk and the development risk that you're going to have to have to to take on a guy like that. That's where I I'm become more out on bull bull if he's available at 35 sure but even at 17 i think that's maybe a little bit high if they trade out of 17 and they trade back to like 25 sure maybe he's the right move at that point but uh you know even at that level the overwhelming risk that you're just going to be totally wasting that pick that <laughs> yeah i'm out i mean that's that's just, I mean, that, that's just he, me but i'm out like i'm not doing it yeah i'm i yeah i, I think i'm pretty much out as well the upside is tantalizing but 35 sure but not yeah not 35 i'd be perfectly happy with it at if they move down to like 28 it'd be fine if they really sure. wanted to to throw a first round pick at him to really get the time to to develop him as well as he's going to need to develop but it's really he's the worst defensive first round prospect that we've maybe seen in in terms like obviously he's a better def- defender than Trey Young was last year but be- based on compared to his average at the position that he plays right it's positionally is the thing one of the worst defender he would immediately be one of the worst defenders like ever 
because no, he it's, just has... it's it's really jarring because you know if, if, if people have only seen highlights of him or haven't watched a ton and you you, you just see his block shots and people assume that he's a good defender and it, it's the absolute opposite he, he's a disaster on defense and it doesn't have to be that way forever and i've said this before on this podcast but uh he's someone where i think people are cooling as well you know good friend of the program sam Bassini, i think has him outside the first round now which people were stunned by but he's just if it doesn't work defensively it doesn't work. You can't. He can't be on the floor. It's kind of the thing with someone that size. And if you if you throw in all if you throw in all the injury stuff as well, and the worry about his frame being, I think he's like two oh eight at seven two with a seven eight wingspan. Like that's like what I weigh. No, it's close anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's pretty crazy to um, you know late late in the first round. Sure, seventeen not for me. And Bruno, by the way, I would definitely rather have Bruno Fernando. I've been accused of being too low on Bruno Fernando by Hawks fans. Maybe I am. I would absolutely rather have Fernando than Bull. Not close. So just putting that out there. One of the guys who I don't even know if he counts as like a center compared to, you know, some of those other guys, but you know, out of Florida state, Cobb he's kind of, I mean, like, can you, if he, he has, he has some, this, he has some field questions, let's just say that yeah, in terms of the way that he sees and thinks the game, but yeah, sort of center, I mean, seven, seven, three wingspan. I think he probably counts. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, like if he counts as a, as a guy who's in the center discussion, I think I'd rather have him than the, some of the other guys that we, you know, just talked about bull bull and Bruno Fernando, but, uh, not all, I, I, not a lot of, uh, of other options. I'd rather <laughs> have Nick Claxton than any of those guys. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I would just for my own personal order, I would go Claxton Fernando, um, then Cabin Gelly, I'm not super high on him. Then Bull, um, actually, I I rather I rather have Daniel Gafford than Bull Bull too. So, and I don't love Daniel Gafford either. Um, just for me, I am more likely to endorse a big man like in this kind of group we're talking about at 35. I think I would if you just have to have a center in this class and you don't have one yet, you just take the best guy who's available at 35, whether it be Gafford or someone else in that range. You know, Nas Reed, if you like him as a skill guy, he would not be a great fit in Atlanta with his um, physical weirdness defensively it would not be great but just that's just what i mean like if you if you have to take a center just take the best guy that's available at 35 um i do not i would not prioritize center unless you get something fall in your lap um or if they just fall in love with gogo or hayes at 10 which would not blow, which would which would not blow me away necessarily either um before we get before we get out of here man we've been podcasting for quite some time at this point um any second round guys that you want that you just like off top for the Hawks. I know we, we could go super deep on this, but if you missed it, we did a little bit of this with, with Chris Stone and I'll do a lot more of this in the next couple of weeks, but anybody that's jumping out, jumping off the page to you that could conceivably be there at 35. I know it's tough to project who's going to be there flat out, but there's a lot of guys who like might be on somebody's big board at 28. that could certainly be there at 35. Um, especially when you factor in the chance the Hawks could move up from 35 to like 31 with just one swift trade. Yeah. I mean, and the biggest thing with this, class in particular is just looking at all the different boards that are out there from people who really are plugged in and know what they're talking about. Like Sam Bassini and, and Jonathan Gaboni are sort of the two, two boards that I really look at in terms of people who are in and around the league and know what they're talking about and have guys who are, have guys ranked not where maybe they think they should be ranked, but more where the league thinks they should be ranked. And that's where you can sort of, that those are the boards that I would look at in terms of answering this kind of question, not being somebody who is, has a lot of inside information into what a lot of teams are thinking. Those are the guys where you can find a lot of that, that inside information. It's, and it's I mean, very important to read the descriptions. Like for some people, 
you know, their mock draft is like they're trying to project the league and maybe their big board is their individual ranking. Like for instance, my, I, I do, I do these dime mock drafts. People always ask me why I have such a stuff, such a, such a, such a pairing. Cause I might've said something about the Hawks on this podcast. And I'm like, well, a mock draft that I'm trying to do on dime is incorporating what I think might slash will happen. It's not my big board. Um, big boards and mocks are very different, which is important to read the description. If it's, uh, you know, not everything is the same, and uh, especially when it comes to Sam and, and Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz and those guys, they are trying to incorporate intel. Like Sam is the first person to tell you that his big board versus his mock drafts are very different, and uh, they could be split like 10, 15 spots on guys based on what he's heard around the league versus his actual opinion. Yeah, and I think Gavoni's mocks are, are relatively similar. Certainly. And I mean, you look especially as we get closer of- to the draft. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're close enough to where you can look at the the mock draft that he dropped on Thursday now, a few days ago now that you're listening to this, and perhaps he might have something out over the weekend, but I doubt it. I think they're, they're you know, put some more space between their mock drafts. I mean, he has Grant Williams at, going 32, Taylor Horton Tucker at 33. You know, these are guys who, if, if they got, if they were anywhere near 35, then they can move 35 and 30 and, and 41 or, you know, 35 and, and 44 and jump up a couple of spots. I mean, could you, if we were talking about, you know, Grant Williams at 17, Getting him at 35 or 32, 31, something like that would be unbelievable for them. And, and I mean, know. this is something that I mean, this is just off the top of my head, but if you told me Grant Williams was available at 30, I would trade all three seconds for Grant Williams. Yeah, immediately. So, um, just, just, a, just as a point of there, reference. If he's there at 30, you absolutely do that because you get the, the rookie scale contract. If he's there at 31, I guess you still do that because it's still Grant Williams. Well, but I mean, at, at, at the very least, you're taking at least on my personal board someone in the 18 to 20 range, and you're getting that guy for especially in a draft where you have six picks. You know, if you've, if you've already used some capital, maybe not. But if you've already taken three guys and you're trying to add a fourth, just go ahead and go all in on the guy you want. Is kind of where I would be for that. Yeah. And with the value that I would, with the value I would place on someone like Grant, it's not just Grant Williams, but you know, he seems to be the guy who realistically could fall the second round that I have the highest on my board. And that's why I'm using him as the example. But the Hawks can be pretty aggressive now to go get their guy, both in the lottery, which is the most obvious and the one that everyone will talk about. But even at the end of the first round, early in the second round, they can go up and get somebody if they think somebody is falling that they want to have on their roster. Yeah, I mean, and, and you look at Gavoni's mock, and he's got Nick Claxton at 31, Grant Williams 32, like we just talked about, Horton Tucker 33, I mean, Chuma Okiki is somebody I really like out of Auburn. He, you know, he's mocked at 41 to the Hawks. That would be obviously a really, you know, a great pick. I'm intrigued by Jonte Porter. Not like, not in any way a first round guy, but somebody who, if they ended up with the pick at 44 and they wanted to take a shot on him, that would be interesting because the upside there is is relatively high if he can I mean, get back he, to being healthy. He'd be healthy. a first-rounder if, if he was healthy. If you knew he was healthy, yeah. he would definitely be a first-round pick. And at 44, if you've taken a bunch of other swings, or you not necessarily have taken a bunch of other swings, but you have a few draft picks that you like have you know already in the fold, taking a swing on a guy who might not be available immediately, is going to be on a longer development curve. You could almost treat him like he's a draft pick next, like a 2020 draft pick, even though you draft him in 2019. You know, you get him into, you know, a a professional rehab situation. You're monitoring his activity. You make sure that he's not playing basketball when he's not supposed to be and re-tearing an ACL. Like all of that stuff you need to, to monitor with him. 
But if he can get back to being fully healthy, he could be a great pick at number 44. So like those, there are a lot of guys who are relatively lower in the league's view than I would perhaps have them on my own board. I mean, even Shamori Pons, you know, out of St. John's would be a really interesting guy, not somebody you would slate to be a starter, but if you get him in the second round, he could be a Trey Young backup. Like we know they need backup point guards. So like, you know, and I don't, believe in Jalen Adams as a, as an NBA level player. So like, I think they do need a backup point guard. And so we talked about that in terms of, you know, somebody they could use some cap space on to bring in a, a backup point guard, either through trade or in free agency, you know, Pons would be a, a really interesting option there as sort of a third point guard who could graduate into the backup spot eventually. So like there are a lot of, it's not, it's not necessarily a very deep draft at the top, but the guys there's so many guys that are that have some that have value between like 20 and 40, you know, even 20 and like 46, 47. Like there are a lot of rotation level prospects, even if there aren't a lot of like starter level prospects, if you if you sort of understand what I mean there. For sure. And I mean, Pons is a good example of they, they could certainly, you know, if the Hawks were to wheel and deal higher and they wanted to use one of the seconds on like a more need lower ceiling pick. Pons would be good, you know, someone like Charles, someone like someone like Charles Matthews as like a lockdown wing defender if they if they found out that he would be intriguing and like if they trusted his shot at all. Like specialist kind of players can be drafted in the second round that might make some sense. Um if they wanted to go that route, you know, if they wanted to go shooting, you know, somebody like Dylan Windler as a knockdown shooter from Belmont could be available as like a he's not like a full one trick pony, but someone who has a specialty and those guys can be you can get you can get value there, you know, that 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 can be had. So lots of options on the table for Atlanta in the second round, but uh, and really the entire draft. Six picks, man. I mean, if you had told me, I don't know, 12 months ago even, we, that they would have six picks in this draft in the top 44, I would have not believed you. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, to I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. They've got so many different options. They can draft really outside of like the top few guards that they don't want because they have Trey Young and Zion Williamson. Like really, literally anybody else everybody could show else. up in it yeah. on on no. opening night, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, so, no, it's a, it's a it's a great point. I mean, it it really is a. F- there are four players in this draft where I would be stunned if they were on the Hawks roster on the day after the draft, and it's Williamson and the three point guards in the lottery, and that's really it. Everybody, yeah. Else could I mean, like even a guy like Carson Edwards, like you could talk <laughs> me into Carson Edwards as a backup probably. guard. I mean, I mean, as I, a backup I don't think guard who just comes in and and gets buckets. I'm not super high on Carson Edwards, but when you're talking about him as like a late first, early second rounder, then it's not so bad. Like, I don't love that. I mean, there are certainly guys that I would prefer to not have on the Hawks roster. They're often mocked in the top 50. You know, Nas Reed's not a good fit, for instance. He's someone I would not be taking if I was the Hawks. Um, you know, Bol Bol, my thoughts are well documented on Bol Bol, for instance, um, et cetera, et cetera. There are guys I, that I would not prefer. But nobody that I would just say cross off completely as a no chance the Hawks take this guy. I mean, look at a general consensus like top 50 board for either Vicini or ESPN, whichever one you prefer. And like Jeff said, there might be four guys you can cross off. Everybody else is on the table, which is pretty wild, but it's true. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to really get nuts, Zion is kind of, I mean, it's... he's all, Stop, 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 okay. stop. Don't yeah, do this. Sorry. Don't do this. Bar, I mean, the, the only way, the only way, we'll say this out loud. The only way they get, the only way that Zion is in Atlanta is if they trade Trey Young. 
So yeah, that's there's that's no the there's no other there's no other getting Zion without Trey Young. I, I would be pretty confident in that. So it's not going to happen. Yeah, um, and I stopped myself short of saying that. But now that you've said it, that's that's the path. That's the only way. Uh, that just route, because, but, uh, oh, just for PR alone, the Pelicans would have to fold their franchise if they traded Zion Williamson right now. Um, with the Zion stuff and the PR hit that they would have to take, it would not be. Uh, they'd have to get the most overwhelming Herschel Walker like. Uh, trade hall in the history of the NBA um, to trade Zion Williamson. So the only, on the really literally the only way it happens is if Anthony Davis says, I will sign on the dotted line for the Supermax if you go get me Trey Young. And then they go Trey 8 10 for Zion. And because as Atlanta, there's nobody in this draft you would trade Trey Young for. There's no, you know, there's no package out there that makes a lot of sense. But if you can go out and get Zion, then, you know, it does make sense. So for both yeah. sides, the only way New Orleans does that is if Anthony Davis says, this is my signature on the Supermax five years extension. If you go get Trey Young. If you, if you trade Zion Williamson. <laughs> if you trade Zion for Trey Young in particular, I will sign this Supermax extension. If not, I'm walking. I don't even know that I would do that if I'm New Orleans, but I'm, that would be the, the, the path to, to Zion to Atlanta. Yeah. So, point. uh, RIP design to Atlanta. It's basically the, yeah, the that's story. Not that's not, it's not going to happen. So yeah, to, I guess the bigger point just worth repeating one more time is, you know, last year, for instance, there was probably like a, I don't know, I guess there was, this was kind of like this last year where, because they had the, the picks spread out in the first round, they were kind of on the board for everybody. There were a few guys that they probably just weren't going to take that were like projected to be in like that 10 to 15 range last year. They weren't going to take. And then the second round guys, but this year they have a pick Every 15 picks uh, or so, uh, actually even almost almost less than that. It's just, it's so wide open. It's so flat that anything's on the table. And that makes my job both difficult and fun in the next two weeks. And uh, we'll be here. Jeff will certainly return in the near future. If nothing else, you'll be back probably shortly after the draft to preview free agency and all that stuff. Because this is, this, is, this is your time of year to be sure. But please, um, unless you have more draft takes you want to offer, we can probably get out of here. Please plug yourself uh, because it's uh, Jeff Siegel season. Yeah, uh, June and July are, are my two months of the year that I'm at the busiest as uh, as we get sort of into the the draft and free agency. You can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can follow me, you know, you can follow my work on Early Bird Rights at Early Bird Rights on Twitter, earlybirdrights.com. That's where I post pretty much everything, even when I write for other sites, Petrie Hoops, Blazers Edge, Forbes.com. Dime Magazine, Basketball Writers, all of that stuff gets linked over on Early Bird Rights. So if you're interested in my work uh, everywhere, that's where you can find it. Early Bird Rights also has, you know, all sorts of salary caps information, anything you want to know about, uh, you know, trades and and all, all third team salary caps, free agency lists, free agency rankings. As we get into July, it's going to be a, a, a go-to home for Myself, of course, since it's mine, but also, you know, I've heard from a, a number of people, both inside the league and inside the media, who use early bird rights, you know, relatively consistently and, and like what I can do over there. And so, you know, especially as we get into free agency and as these trades and signings happen, as they get reported, within five minutes, they are up on the website. You can see what kind of salary cap impact each move has. The, you know, the Torian Prince Allen Crab thing was up. Within within a few minutes yesterday, uh, as we record this on on Friday, a few you know a few days ago, as you listen to this on Sunday or Monday, but it's it's all within a few minutes. It's all automatic. Everything happens uh, faster than anybody else out there. So if you're 
somebody who is interested in the salary cap and is interested in sort of why things happen, how they work, how they affect things moving forward, Early Bird Rights is is the place for you. Check it out. Bookmark Early Bird Rights. I use it, I'm not kidding, every single day. And uh, it's the best place on the internet for all the salary cap machinations that you would need. And it's that time of that, that time of year, by the way. And Jeff has this stuff up. Once once guys start signing uh, in July, or even trades around the draft, Jeff has these these cap sheets updated within like 90 seconds. It's it's absolutely insane. So, um, thank you for your service on that one, my friend. Um, and also thank you for joining me on today's podcast because you are still. I am very confident the most frequent guest of the Locked On Hawks podcast, and you uh, extend your uh, your reign with a two hour marathon recording. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast once again. Please subscribe to this podcast, and we'll be back again in a couple of days with more on the Atlanta Hawks.